who's as an offensive line playing through five, like through one set of eyes, five guys playing through one set of guys. So like you collectively, I could sit here and praise individual guys. And there were some guys that I will give them credit. They stayed in the fight and they played hard. When you watch for Sean and Nick G, like they're cleaning out the pocket to the end of the game. They stayed in the fight. Like they never lost the, their belief or their will to win. They didn't, they played hard. Um, that's what they're expected to do, but that's what they did. Um, but when you play like that way, and it's not just the offensive line. Like, it's the coaching staff, it's the offensive line, it's running backs, it's quarterbacks, it's wide receivers, it's tight ends. Like, all of that contributes into a sack. All of that contributes into a negative run or a non-efficient run. So, um, it, we win and lose as a group. I would say we all failed because that's – All right. Welcome back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. Make sure you follow us on social media at Rivals Gamecock. Subscribe on YouTube or whatever podcast app you're listening to us on. Um, that was Dowell Loggins talking about that uh, performance to forget uh, last Saturday um, from the offensive line, but also sort of making sure that you spread the blame everywhere. Because um, if you give up nine sacks and what was it? 18 uh, quarterback hurries or whatever. I can't remember exactly. Hurries, 16 tackles for loss. Nine yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not just on the offensive line. Uh, I suppose that uh, it, it's a confluence of a bunch of different things. Um, we'll get back to that here in just a minute, and then we'll start talking about Furman. Um, and also, I think another thing that um, we should talk about is he did call out Bershon Lee and Nick Gargiulio as sort of uh, – doing the right thing on Saturday, um, which we did. We both went back and watched some of that tape. And yeah, I, I would say if you are going to single out two guys that seem to mostly be in position and uh, doing the right thing throughout that night, it, it's those two guys. Um, before we get too far into football and the coordinators and uh, what Shane Beamer said this past week, let's talk recruiting a little bit. Um, so we talked about how last weekend was pretty important from a recruiting standpoint. Um and in a lot of ways, we're starting to look forward to 2025, although there are still some 2024 uh, guys out there on the table. We're still waiting to see what happens with Daniel Hill. Um, but 2025 is off to like an interesting start, I think. So you have um, Ryan Montgomery as your top quarterback uh, target in 2025. He was there this past weekend. Um, things seem to be going pretty well there. Uh, he should be an elite 11, elite 11 caliber sort of guy, although it's kind of early to figure that out. And then I'll have the full recruiting visitor list for um, Furman this weekend on the weekly recruiting wrap up tomorrow. But I already know that the number one overall player in the 2025 class, um, Elijah Griffin, that's a defensive end out of Savannah is expected to be on campus. And um, you know, that's like, I can't even remember how many times he's visited now, five or six. Um, it seems like there's some staying power there for South Carolina with the number one overall player in the 2025 class. Uh, he'd be the highest rated recruit since Clowney, if uh, that rating holds. Um, obviously, you're going to have to outcompete Georgia for him, which is never an easy task. Uh, he's got offers from every major program, Alabama, Auburn, you know, uh, Colorado, uh, Clemson, um, USC, Notre Dame, all of them, right? But uh, South Carolina was actually one of his first offers back in January of 2023. 
Um, or at least that's what we have on the rivals database right now. And uh, yeah, it seems like that they've made an impact and they're, they're kind of sticking, sticking in his mind there. Um, so that'll be something interesting to see how uh, returns from this weekend go on that. Um, we haven't focused on 2025 yet, but it's, it's time to start to sort of shift that focus around a little. I'll have a lot more in the weekly recruiting wrap up tomorrow, uh, including also how some of the 2024 commitments uh, are doing at the beginning of their senior seasons. Um, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to the running back commit, Matthew Fuller, but he has been just like on fire here to begin the season. Um, I believe he's averaging something like 14.7 yards per carry or something <laughs> stupid. Like he had uh, almost 700 yards rushing through two games. Um, and then I, I have to put together his stat line from this past week for tomorrow. But um, yeah, might have found a diamond in the rough, rough there. Sounds like he's doing well. And that's that's 5A Georgia ball. I mean, that's not yeah. uh, against scrubs. So um, all right, let's talk offensive line. I feel like there's no real way to talk about uh, where we are at in the 2023 season without starting there. Um, as you heard from Loggins at the top of the show, uh, they're spending this week doing a lot of tweaking, doing a lot of um, trying to understand what went wrong and where. I imagine we're going to see uh, a little bit of rotation this weekend. And and really, I think the biggest focus this weekend against a quote-unquote quote, get-right opponent, although we will uh, discuss here in a minute whether or not Furman can really be considered a traditional get-right opponent. Um, they are, you know, a top five or six FCS program this year. They have 18 of 22 starters returning. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a little, <laughs> could be a little touch and go. Um, but still, you have to think across the board, South Carolina has a better um, starting 22, and that this should be an opportunity to try to get some of those things right on the offensive line. Um, what else are you hearing uh, from this past week from Beamer and the players and uh, coordinators about what they're doing with the offensive line? Yeah, this is a and it has to be when you read out those numbers we just read and you watch what we all watched last Saturday. This is a evaluate everything week. We heard fundamentals. We heard technique. We heard uh, some scheme stuff. We heard combinations, obviously, of what five you have up front. I don't think you can look at what you watched last Saturday and say that anything is sacred or that anything can't be changed. It doesn't mean they're going to change everything. Um, but I think you have to look at everything right now. And I would be surprised. Obviously, it's not going to be the same five you started with last week because Casey Henry won't play. But I'd be surprised if it's the same five you played most of that game with last week. I'm expecting at some point some changes to tackle, probably, whether that's kicking Ja'Kai Moore out there, whether that's um, – Nick Garzulo, who played some left tackle and right tackle at Yale, um, just trying to get that experience squared away. I do think you're going to keep Vershawn Lee at center. That's the one thing you kind of can't mess with up front is your quarterback center exchange. I think that stays the same. But I think if you're prioritizing right now, it's just trying to figure out what went wrong last week. How do you flush it? How much of that can be fixed in a week, by the way, which I don't know how much of it can go in one week, but just you're trying to take steps that way before the SEC schedule. And then who do you actually see take the field? Who plays how many snaps against Furman Saturday? Yeah. And if we are giving some grace uh, to what we saw on um, last Saturday night, and Beamer brought this up this week, you were hoping to have Jalen Nichols and Kaysen Henry as your starting tackles most likely. Yeah. And then obviously both of them have been hurt over the last few months. 
Uh, Case and Henry missed a good portion of uh, camp and then got hurt after three plays on or four plays or whatever it was on Saturday. Um, yeah, I would. I think you have to probably let um, Jakai Moore at least get some looks at tackle. He's played there before. Um, it. I wouldn't say that he was particularly impressive in the past there, um, but considering how bad that position looked last Saturday night, I don't know that it can get much worse. Um, and at least he's, you know, a veteran presence in all of that. Um, I, you're going to take some lumps this year. There's really no, no way around it. Uh, we talked about giving the freshmen some play. Marky Anderson is probably not going to uh, be healthy enough to play this week. Maybe you see some tree Babalade. Um, maybe you see some Trovon ball. Um, but as Beamer said, it's really hard to, he said this, uh, earlier this week in the press conferences, it's really hard as a freshman to play along the offensive line and defensive line. Um, it's a little bit easier as you move further out from the lines of scrimmage, as he said, but, um, it'll be interesting to see. (laughs) I I don't know that you're, you can project to ever feel like you have an above average unit going forward. But I do think you can probably improve on those numbers we read out at the top of the show of uh, 18 hurries and nine sacks and 15 tackles for a loss or whatever it was. No, and that brings up a point Dowell Logan said too, which he's absolutely right about. And it's not even a shot at Spencer Rattler, but no, you can't ask him to play the way he played last week every week. That isn't going to happen. I, I think we all agree Spencer Rattler's better than he was last year. He's had a good off season. He looks like an NFL draft prospect. No, he's not going to go 30 for 39 with no turnovers against that pressure every week. That isn't going to happen. I think realistic fans know that. I think the coaching staff knows that for sure. So it comes down to what can you do to make life easier for Spencer Rattler. Some of that might be scheme stuff too. Um, He was asked about moving pockets a little bit. We saw that on the second touchdown drive. Uh, I'm just thinking of that one throwback to, was it Leggett or AB, the big throwback play? Um, um, I believe AB. Okay. So they're moving some pockets on that drive. Um, I think tempo helps too. Also saw that on that drive. That's something Dowell Loggins talked about was first down success allows them to get into their tempo. I wrote about that a little bit in the stats breakdown earlier this week. You can find that on GameTalkScoop.com. I think if you can get into some tempo, you get some first down success. You can A, say out of obvious passing downs, but B, you can tie your defense out, tie your defenses out a little bit more and just give yourself a I mean, give Spencer Rattler a fighting chance back there. Uh, yeah. That's not going to happen every week, what he did last week. Yeah, and we talked about how, what was it, uh, 10 out of 13 drives were five plays or less or something. That can't it, it was something like that. Um, and a lot of that is due to you falling behind on first and second down. Um, I so One of the uh, the coaches, I can't remember who it was now, this week brought up uh, how many third and seven pluses you had to deal with this past week. So I do think you have to focus on getting ahead of the chains. If you can't do it in the run game, manufacturing it a little bit. Um, there was something that Loggins kind of kept bringing up that I asked, I, I wanted to ask you about. Um, and he was talking about the moving pockets and basically he kept saying that three steps and empties are a run play to me. What do you think that he meant by that? And how does that play into, I guess, the short game for South Carolina? I don't think that's a way to live every week. That's also something Logan said about that. But I think what he means by that is there's going to be weeks when you can't get your running game going. And if you're trying to, 
mean, you think about what a run play actually does, what that accomplishes. It's short gains usually. It's keeping the clock moving. It's controlling tempo. It's winning up front, whatever that is. Saying you can accomplish the things you accomplish on a running play with a short pass, with a screen, by throwing the ball to a running back, whatever that might be. I don't think you could live that way for 12 weeks. I think you're going to, obviously, if you're averaging negative two rushing yards a game, you're not going to have a good offense. It goes without saying. But there are going to be, yeah, they're probably, I'll go ahead and give you a groundbreaking scoop. They're probably not going to run the ball very well against Georgia next week. Um, and if that's the case, then, yeah, your short passes, your screens, your bubbles, whatever, might have to serve as the running game that week and some other weeks too. Yeah, uh, we might see a little bit more success in the run game this week just due to um, – Furman's size yeah. differential on the front. Although uh, I will say Furman's strength defensively is probably their linebackers. So, mm -hmm. you know, there, there may still be some issues. They also send a lot of pressure. Um, so we'll see if they, I mean, if they're watching that film from last week, they're probably sort of chomping at the bit a little bit to send some blitzes towards this offensive line that is still in flux and isn't gelling and maybe isn't communicating perfectly all the time. Um, I guess let, let's kind of start to look at Furman and how much of a threat they are, right? I called it a get-right game. We haven't been able to find a specific line on it. There usually isn't for uh, Power 5 versus FCS games. Um, we saw a couple here and there. Let's just call the line 17 and a half. <laughs> um, do you think that that is a realistic uh, sort of weight for fans to approach this game that South Carolina should win comfortably by three scores or so? Um, or do you think that this one might be more of a nail biter, a fourth quarter game um, and something that the home team is a, a little bit more worried about than they normally would be with an FCS opponent? I, I don't know if I would take either extreme there. I do tend to lead towards your second one. Um, look, there's no other way to say this. Furman's a really good football team. They won 10 games last year. They put up almost 400 yards of offense at Clemson last year. Their quarterback was 31 for 40 in that game. They led the country in turnovers for us last year. They forced six last week. Well, I know I'm kind of repeating what Shane Beaver said, but two pick sixes last week in their opener. They are number six in the FCS poll right now. They were a second-round playoff team in the FCS playoffs last year, so they won a postseason game. This is – you compare the first two FCS opponents you played in the Shane Beamer era – you played Eastern Illinois, who went one and ten in 2021. You played South Carolina State last year, who went three and eight. This is not that. It's not. This is going to be different. This is going to be more of a challenge. Um, yeah, I think this is probably going to be a one-score game into the second half. Having said all of that, if you have any ideas or designs on accomplishing what you want to this season, you probably need to come out of this game feeling good, like if you didn't go down to the wire. Yeah, and generally, like I said, the advantage for a Power 5 school versus an FCS opponent is along the line of lines of scrimmage. Yes. And I think you can certainly argue, maybe even it's undeniable, that those are South Carolina's weaknesses on each side of the ball. Um, so perhaps some of that normal advantage is going to be negated a bit, um, which makes it a little bit more of an interesting proposition. Also, uh, Furman's quarterback has the ability to run the ball a little bit. Um, he ran for, I believe it was 700 yards and eight touchdowns last season, uh, ran for 45 yards in their season opener. Uh, didn't even have to play that whole game. The backup came in cause they blew out Tennessee tech or whoever it was that they yeah. played. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, that's always a dangerous for anyone that's been a South Carolina fan for any length of time, uh, a quarterback that, it, that has the ability to run is always a little bit of a dangerous proposition. I do think they did a pretty good job of containing Drake May last week, uh, who also has the ability to run. Um, but there were a few times where Drake May definitely extended plays and extended drives uh, with his legs. Yeah, I think that more comes on to another point, too, that I wrote about is linebacker depth. Linebacker, We haven't even touched the injury report yet, but it's a lot this week. Nicky Minwari, I'll pull it up right now. But question, he's doubtful this week. We already said Casey Henry's going to be out. Um, you didn't have Bam Martin Scott last week. You're hoping you can have him back. That's the word Beaver used, hopeful. But Marky Anderson's doubtful. JT Gear's doubtful. David Spaulding's doubtful. Obviously, Casey Henry's out. Mokaba's out for the season, by the way. We haven't even touched on that yet. But he just hate that. You're thin at linebacker. Really thin. Stone and Debo played almost every snap last week. Clayton White and Shane Bieber both said pretty bluntly that, that wasn't going to be sustainable. Um, where do you go from there? This has to be Pup Howard's debut, I'm sure, on Saturday. But even a fourth linebacker, if Bam's not 100%. Cola Cerdo? Ronnie Porter? Where do you kind of go Jaron from? Willis, if he's yeah. stepped up at all. Um, that's the transfer out of Auburn. I mean, obviously, you knew that you had some depth issues in the offseason, which is why you went and got him from Auburn. Um, he was a four-star coming out of high school. Wasn't it Ole Miss? Or, yeah, I think you're right. Ole Miss, sorry. Um, yeah, but either way, four-star out of high school, recruited to an SEC program. Um, I don't know if the light has come on for him yet. We're not hearing a ton about him, although I did hear a mention from him uh, this week in the press conference just saying basically what we said, that he needs to step up and there's a opportunity there. Um yeah, I mean, I think you feel pretty good about your starting group on defense, but the depth is already starting to become an issue after just one game. Um, I All those doubtful guys, I don't think that there's any no, chance that you throw those guys out there. That means we're probably going to see a lot more Jalon Kilgore, um, who played really a, well last week. Yeah, yeah so second leading tackler on the team. Um, I, th- I believe I saw some, uh, you know, scrolling through Twitter, some – Someone named him a freshman of the week. I don't know if it was an official like SEC freshman of the week or anything like that. But um, yeah, I mean, he's I feel like you can probably trust and depend on that guy, uh, which makes you feel fine about letting even more even more his hamstring issue um, heal up. But I don't know if you feel as good about your second line at linebacker now that you don't have Cabo, who I think you are very much depending on giving those guys breathers throughout the season at the very least. You're going to need Pop Howard to grow up quick, and I do think he's capable of that. I think I picked him as like my freshman of the year this year when we did that show a couple weeks ago for South Carolina. Um, the nickel situation doesn't sound like you're going to have David Spaulding this week. Keenan Nelson's played a lot more football now, but he also got burned a couple times last week. Where does that look like? What else can you do with that position? Bam Martin Scott's another guy who's played some nickel. You might not have him this week. Um, this is a young, this, I feel like this is going to be a theme of this season. Whereas we get further, this is a young football team and you're just going to have to go with what comes with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, so my, here's a blind, like sort of, I guess, narrative take I have about the defense. Um, this week we saw them settle in, in the second half last week, yeah. we saw them win the fourth quarter. And we did talk a little bit about the impact that um, 
Nick Emmett worry going out so early would have had as far as an on-field leadership standpoint. Sure. Um, but I did see that Clayton White brought up the Mokaba injury this week and how it like kind of shook people up mm-hmm. on the sideline as well. Um, and that's something that maybe we didn't even think about or talk about. But like this is it's a tragic story, right? Like this is yeah. a guy that worked all the way back last off season from a torn ACL um, by all means had done the right thing uh, is a big time athlete uh, is a veteran presence on your uh, defense, even if he's not technically starting on last Saturday. And then he tears the other. Uh, well, we don't know specifically that it's the ACL, but he, hurt his other leg on a free play um, too. It was covered right. a kickoff. And he wasn't even the one making the tackle, just the kind of thing that every person on special teams does several times every game without a problem. And yeah. And we got to keep in mind the human impact. We got to yeah. keep in mind that these are, you know, young men, 18 to 23 year old, whatever. Um, most of them under 21. Cause we're talking about how, how young uh, a lot of these guys are. And yeah, seeing seeing someone that you respect um, deal with something like that, I have to imagine it does at least affect you somewhat mentally. So if I'm going to get really narratively, I actually expect them to play a lot better this week, um, assuming they, they don't have to deal with something like that again uh, at the top of the game. Okay, so that does bring me to another point. I think this might be my overarching theme for this week. My, I, I wrote about this a little bit in my final preview, which is going to go up tomorrow on GameCoxScoop.com if you're subscribed. What do you need to see Saturday? Does a 28-point win where you still give up five sacks, is that – or is a 14-point win where you give up zero sacks still better than a 28-point win where you give up five, even though the margin's bigger, or maybe you force some turnovers or whatever? If you give up 300 yards to Furman, but you get three or four sacks, is that a better performance than giving up more yards but not getting set? Like – what is your baseline for success this week other than winning the game, which I think is going to be trigger that people think. What do you need to see beyond scoreboard to feel like this thing is back on track, I guess? That's different for everybody, but I'm curious what you think needs to happen. I do think that the how probably matters a lot more. That's what I'm getting what. at. That's a better way to say it, but how matters a lot this week. Um, I do think that probably on the scoreboard, you want at least a two-score <laughs> um, win there, uh, or you – even if you play really well, um, you're going to have some questions. Um, but I, I do think the how matters. I think you need to show that you have a semblance of a running game. Uh, yes. okay. Does that does that mean you need to put up 100 yards? No, but like 60, 75, something like that. Um, I think you need to limit the sacks for sure. Um, show that you can protect Spencer Rattler, give him some time to make the throws. Um and then defensively, I think, yeah, just playing fundamental defense, um, not giving up the big play, uh, keeping the quarterback contained. Um, and then, yeah, ultimately, if you don't score 63 points, but you look solid and and win, I don't know, 28 to 14 or 35 to 17 or something like that, then you probably still feel pretty good. That said, I said this in my five questions for the Furman Week uh, article that went live earlier this week on GameCockScoop.com. I don't know that you can really see anything that's going to make you feel good about going to Athens next week. I mean, no. I mean, that's not the conversation, though. That's more just the rest of the season. What would make you feel like this team's better, regardless of the fact that what's going to happen at Georgia is probably going to happen at Georgia no matter what. Whether you beat Furman by 80 or lose to Furman, that game's going to be what it's going to be. Um 
I think more what I would need to see if you want to feel better about this thing is just push, line of scrimmage push. If you get in Tyler Huff's face a lot, but you don't actually sack him, okay, maybe you're not finishing plays. If you're disrupting plays, you're forcing throwaways, you're forcing pressure, you're getting pushed up front. Offensive line, okay, maybe you're not going to give up zero sacks. Maybe you're not going to average eight yards a carry. Are you getting pushed? Can you clear a hole on third and four to, pick, to move the chains? Can you just – do you look like a – we heard a lot of people say this is a – we're trying to be physical. We, we do physical practices. We are looking for a physicality to be the identity of this team. Need to see some of that against an FCS opponent who's going to be smaller than anything else you're going to see on the SEC schedule this year. Um what that means numbers wise, I don't know, but you need to see some sem- I guess game control. You need to see some semblance of game control, I think, whether the, whether regardless of what that looks like on the scoreboard. I also think you can probably forgive some shakiness in the first half if you look solid in the second half. Uh this assuming that you have this game in control and you know don't don't have anything free capping at the beginning where you sure. somehow fall down two scores. But assuming this game stays under control, this is an experimental game. Uh, so figure out who your best five are. And hopefully by the last, by the fourth quarter, whatever you have of starting five that you feel like you can roll into SEC play. Um, so I think that's a lot of it too, is just like feeling like you're ending with a little bit of cohesion. Uh, because you've had, a lot of people use cohesion. Yeah. You, you have 40 minutes to, figure some things out, treat this like a glorified scrimmage because it's the last opportunity you're going to get for a while uh, that at least feels sort of like that. Again, no disrespect to Furman. I think Furman's a really good team, uh, but it is a team that you should beat um, nine times out of 10 to 19 times out of 20, whatever. I think that's pretty much what you said there. And also, if you talk about second half better, second half experimenting, that means you handled business in the first half and you took care of what you needed to take care of to put this thing maybe not even out of reach, but just feel like where you, where you feel comfortable trying some things um, players wise in terms of who you didn't see in Charlotte last week, pop Howard's is a big one that I'm watching to me. I think he's going to have to play snaps in this game. Um, Sounds like your two wide receivers are trending towards playing yeah. juice. Wells. I still and think Amari you have to be careful with those guys, but you want to see some of them. I'd like to see some more of Eddie Lewis. Didn't see a whole lot of him on offense last week. I don't know if that's going to be the thing moving forward, but I still think he can be a weapon in the slot for this offense. Um, if so nothing we see else, more can, Luke Luke Doty at wide yeah. receiver. Yeah, I was going to say if nothing else, he can have the Doty some of the Doty role. He doesn't have to, you know, if you get to a point where you're up twenty late and Luke Doty's playing quarterback, okay, maybe that's Eddie Lewis in the slot and his position. Omega Blake. There's another one that played last week but didn't play a lot. Um, I know fans are going to want to see more of Nick Harbor. I'm also looking at Desmond Umiazulu. He played one snap last week. It was a kneel down at the end of the game. Um, see what that looks like. Get him some reps in a game. Curious about that. I'll be interested if Tuazama earned himself uh, a few more snaps. I, I mean, it was late in that one. He played a good bit of the fourth quarter, though, mm-hmm. um, and obviously was like – he only had a week and a half or so of practice before. Um, So now that he has another hope to get ready, um, I'm wondering if he steps up a bit and then running back wise, I am interested to see if we finally see any Mario Anderson or Mm -hmm. DJ Braswell, Um, especially. Yeah. If you get up and uh, have some, some time to turn it out a little bit, get those guys, their legs under them and, and uh, some snaps in a friendly environment. 
Um, also, yeah, the we just got an announcement earlier today that the game is a sellout. It'll be good to have the first home game of the season um, and you know get the crowd going at Williams Bryce. I've I've heard that there's a little bit of a difference in the uh, pre. Yeah, we didn't even get to that. Cocky has a new entrance. I don't know how many years he's been doing the. I don't know what do you call it the like curtain trail magician. Yeah, whatever you want to. What it looks like. Apparently that's gone now. It's gonna be brand new cocky entrance Saturday. Uh, I mean, it's been at least since I was a kid because I remember seeing that same entrance in like 2000 ish. So it's been a long time. I wonder why now, why change now? And what does that even look like? I mean, do you have any ideas? What, what would you want cocky's new entrance to be come from a helicopter or something like, <laughs> yeah, just have him, uh, rappel down sky. Um, <laughs> or yeah, like the, the lady Gaga thing. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah. The, the Super Bowl a few years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That'll be, that'll be interesting. Um, I'm sure they'll come up with something. Cool. I don't even have a guess. I don't even like, but that could be literally anything. I will say uh, if there's something that South Carolina has excelled at over the past five years um, off the field, at least uh, is the sort of marketing uh, game day experience, all those sorts of things. Um, so I expect it to be something cool. We'll, we'll find out on Saturday night. Um, any other I guess sort of keys to the game that we haven't hit on yet. I mean, you sort of just hit on it, but I do think this needs to be a put away, feel good early. You know, as well as I do, South Carolina fans know from 2015, the longer you let an FCS team hang around, the more dangerous that gets. Um, and this is a Furman team that definitely knows how to play in tight games. It has before um, put it away early. I think you kind of need to, that just needs to happen. I agree. Um, all right, let's go and look a little bit at the national level, some other fun games happening this weekend. Also, if we want to talk national level before we get into our staff picks for week two, um, a pretty big game happened since the last time we talked. Uh, yeah. The uh, the team up the road in the upstate um, got uh, embarrassed on national TV against Duke on Monday night. Um, you know, that makes you feel a little bit better, I guess, uh, if you're a South Carolina fan. I've never been one that's like, everything's cool now and I'm going to talk trash to my Clemson people if we both lost in that weekend, right? But sure. uh, at, the, at the very least, you, it, it lessens the sting a little bit um, to see them struggling on their own as well. Uh, so apparently the uh, chap or the uh, Triangle Schools own the state of South Carolina right now, but... I mean, the state of South Carolina in general last week, you had losses for Clemson, South Carolina, Coastal, Citadel, Wofford, North Greenville, Presbyterian, South Carolina State's 0-2 because they played week zero, and Erskine. Is Furman the only for I believe Furman's the only team that won last week. Yeah. Wow. Indeed won. So, yeah, you are you got the uh, South the best team in South state Carolina. Right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, tough. All right, let's look at the other games going on around the country. If you check out GamecocksCoop.com today, you'll see our week two staff picks. Hey, you're not running away from the crowd uh, the way you did last year, at the beginning of last year, Alan. Uh, you and I are both 10 and 5, and Peyton is actually 10 and 5. I got a spread lead, though. I see I'm up one game against the spread right now. Yeah, let's not talk about my record against the spread. It's not going Ooh. nearly as well. I'm I guess you didn't get that parlay last week. I did not. 
Um, I'll tell you who I'm who I'm betting this week. But, okay. You know, maybe don't uh, don't follow me there because it's not going super well right now. Um, all right, let's uh, talk Illinois and Kansas. Whenever we locked in the the spread, we had Kansas as a four four point favorite in that one. Uh, who you, who you like? You like the Jayhawks? You like Illinois? I pick Kansas at home. Better quarterback. I know Illinois got a scare from Toledo last week. Although Toledo's a pretty good MAC team. Um, I'll take the home team with a better quarterback. But I think this is very much a you figure out what both teams have game. And I don't really know what either team has right now. Yeah, I do very much still believe uh, in the Kansas rebuild. Um, but you got also, a buddy who's a Kansas fan, right? I do. Um, but also, I kind of believe in the Illinois rebuild. Um, I think Brett Bielema is doing a good job up there, too. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I, it's kind of a, a measuring stick for where those two programs are right now. Um, pretty interesting one. You got Notre Dame minus eight. Speaking at, of triangle schools. Yeah, at NC State. What makes it even more interesting, though, is Sam Hartman has played NC State quite a few times. Um, not so good against NC State. He had, I believe he's thrown for six total interceptions against uh, the Wolfpack throughout his career. It is an interesting game. It's a scary road game if you're a Notre Dame fan. I think what – this is Notre Dame paper by eight, by the way, is what we have here. I think what tips it for me is just looking at NC State a little bit. They've struggled to stop the run. UConn ran for over six yards of carry against them last week. Um, I think Notre Dame's going to hand the ball to STMA, lean on them a little bit, and just be able to grind this out, 10, 14-point win. Yeah, for what it's worth, I think uh, obviously the supporting cast for Hartman at Notre Dame is a lot better than he ever had at Wake, um, which should help things out there. Uh, This is one of the few... This week that we went across the board, everyone picked Notre Dame. Everyone picked Notre Dame to cover for what it's worth, if you care about the five of our opinions. <laughs> um, Ole Miss minus six at Tulane. Right, really interesting on one. one. Yeah, really interesting. You're the only one that actually picked uh, Tulane to win that one outright. It's a ranked matchup, right? Both of them are at Tulane, by the way. You've got the power five traveling to the group of five. It's pretty rare. Yeah, uh, who's responsible for scheduling at Ole Miss? I that, that seems like a lose lose situation there. I think they was a home and home. I'm pretty sure they played in Oxford last year, but still, why are you doing that? Um, yeah, I don't care. I'm in on Tulane. They won 11 games last year. They beat down a really good South Alabama team by 20 points last week. I think Ole Miss. I like what you have at quarterback with Jackson Dart, but I don't know if you've seen it yet. You're going on the road. Tulane's going to be up for this game. Shootout for sure. Like, this is a fun game. I think this is a 3.30 kick, right? That's, yeah. So that's the window before South Carolina. Fun game. I'm expecting it to be in the 30s. I think Tulane finds a way to get this done. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to watching that one. Um, should be interesting. All right. Uh, Texas A&M at Miami. I think that's <laughs> another luck. of the big ones uh, for the week. Um Texas A&M favored by five, which feels like an unearned five points on the road. I don't know what it like. What has Texas A&M done to deserve that? That said, I did roll with them to win and cover that just because I tend to think that they're going to have a bounce back year. I think if as long as Jimbo lets Petrino do his thing, the offense is going to be better and they have talent, you know, all over that roster. So. Good luck, sure. Uh, I mean, they played a game last year. I think it was like 17 to 9 AM when neither team played well. I know they like the quarterback situation better at AM right now. Connor Regman's got good early returns. 
Would anything really surprise you here? Like, no, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't touch this game with a 10 foot pole betting wise. I, I put Miami on the sheet, I think playing at home, but no, it was around here that the, uh, the dreams of AM fell apart last year. Uh, right. So I could very much see this be the beginning of the end. And I also could see this being them sort of establishing that they're a serious contender this year. We'll have to see. All right. Uh, L Asco uh, is up. Uh, we got uh, Iowa minus four at Iowa State. This is one of my parlay games. I picked Iowa to cover that four points. Um, but I feel scared because that game always just does the opposite of what you expect to happen. Rivalry game, good defenses, low. I mean, I still think there's Iowa State questions because they're missing some players, missing a quarterback, missing a running back with the betting scandal. Iowa's generally missing an offense. I mean, even last week, they only scored 24 on a pretty mediocre at best Mountain West opponent in Utah State. I don't know. It's going to finish 16-13. You tell me who has the 16. I put down Iowa. I wouldn't be surprised either way. Man, the uh, the 330 window. Actually, honestly, both early, all the early games are pretty cool. We didn't even uh, mention Colorado-Nebraska. We can talk about that one after. We didn't pick that one this week, but um all right so across the board we actually picked iowa take that for what it's worth i'm putting it in my parlay whatever um all right north carolina trying not to have the letdown after the big opening win last week against south carolina is taking on app state and we have them favored at 15 and a half what do you think i'm picking a cover there which is more to do with app state's defense struggling against gardner webb last week and struggling most of last season and people forgot they beat a they beat a and m but they also went six and six last year as they got a little bit down go ahead they almost beat north carolina as well <laughs> last they did. Year. and even with that they still lost six games and two of those wins were against fcs they couldn't even go to a bowl game um i don't think apps defense is very good i think drake may slices here yeah this was definitely one of the most entertaining games last year i believe yeah, north carolina won, won like 63 61 or whatever yeah something like that 62 59 something yeah. But um, the this was one of the moments where you said Drake May really good, UNC defense really bad. I think the UNC defense has gotten a little bit better as we saw last week. Yeah, and I think Drake May is still really good. So fifteen and a half sounds good to me for North Carolina. Um, you got Oklahoma and SMU. This line felt really big to me. Um, so Oklahoma was favored by seventeen and a half when we locked it in. But I did pick Oklahoma to cover the 17 and a half, but I didn't feel good about it. That's, and I see that you went the other direction. Or, I mean, you picked Oklahoma, but to win by less. Than uh, it's a lot of points. That line's already moved to 15 and a half since we locked it in. So there's clearly people who agree that SMU is getting a little bit too many here. Oklahoma wins by like 14. I don't think they cover. Um, I think SMU's offense can do just enough to hang in there. And then on my staff, apparently I have a lot of Texas believers, or at least Texas believers, that it can stay close once again. I got uh, Bama minus seven and a half um, at home against You're the Texas. only one to pick the cover here for Bama. And I'm the only Walk one to pick them the cover. Uh, I mean, they're at home. Uh, I think that a lot of what we saw last year in how close Texas played that game probably should have won it in many respects was a mirage. I don't know that uh, Quinn Ewers necessarily lived up to the hype following that game. I think he played a really good game, um, but I'm betting on him not 
having the best game of his career again. I'm going the other way on it. I'm betting on Alabama not having a quarterback to bail it out of trouble again. Bryce Young made several miraculous plays late in that game. I just don't know what you have there with Jalen Milrow yet. I don't know what you have with Tommy Reese there yet calling plays. I don't put any stock in Middle Tennessee State last week. Um, it sounds crazy, but I think you feel better about the quarterback situation for Texas than Alabama. Um, and I think they can hang around for giving me more than a touchdown, even though I think Alabama finds a way to win this game. Yeah, I mean, it should definitely be an entertaining game. Um, I think you're probably a little less explosive offensively this year, obviously, if you're Bama uh, without Bryce Young. But I also think that they have changed the um, philosophy a bit to be a little bit more old school Alabama, and they'll just grind it out. It feels like one that you, they sort of pull away late on for me. But Okay. Um, let's talk Furman in South Carolina. We don't have to go through this line. I don't even know where this line came from. Uh, but what what's your score prediction for Furman in South Carolina? I'm going to say 34-17 South Carolina. I think this might be a one-score game at the half. Don't be alarmed. Furman's good. This is not like it would have been last year if it was a one-score game at the half against South Carolina State. I think depth – the scholarship edge because you're playing a team with only 63 scholarship players and talent probably wins out and you feel okay by the fourth quarter, but this won't feel comfortable till about mid third, late third, I think. That's pretty much exactly the score that I was going to pick, but I'll pick something different just to have something different. I put uh, mine in the, on my preview already, so you know I locked it in early. Yeah. So uh, how about I'll go 31 to 14, basically the same yeah. uh, margin, but South Carolina's going to, they're both going to score a little bit less. Okay. New clock rules, whatever. Sure. Um, <laughs> and then the last one that we had on our uh, picks on GameCockScoop.com is Mississippi State, who is minus nine uh, at home against Arizona. What do you, what do you got there? Picking the team with a better line of scrimmage and playing at home. I do think that game can get weird. I know Mississippi State went out there on the other end of this home and home and won by three touchdowns last year. I think Arizona's better. I don't know that for sure after one week against an FCS opponent. I don't know what to – I don't really know. This feels like a very – I don't know what to make. They both played FCS teams last week. Both can score points, like to throw the ball. I don't know if they will. Taking a better line of scrimmage at home, but I don't really know either, I feel like. Yeah, I – Pick them to win. I didn't pick them to cover. Nine points feels like a lot for two teams that I feel like I can't easily differentiate between. Sure. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me. Pretty much no result in that one would surprise me because I feel like I just don't have enough information. Um, all right. A couple more that I think we should talk about just because I think a lot of people will be watching them. Uh, Nebraska, Colorado. Colorado obviously shocked the world last week. Um we did not pick them to even cover that spread at all, right? We thought they were getting blown out. Look at us. Um, all right. Uh, Colorado, after that, though, um, maybe too far of a swing in the other direction. They are a three-point favorite against Nebraska at noon on Fox. You, you buying into the hype? You think that they can follow up that performance? Uh, I think they can. I also wouldn't be surprised. I said it to someone else this week. Do you remember 2020? The first game of the Mike Leach era at Mississippi State, they went to LSU, who had just lost everyone in the NFL, and K.J. Costello threw for like 500 yards. They beat LSU at Death Valley, and we all thought Mike Leach was going to change the SEC and 
And the next week they lost at home to Arkansas, who was winless in the SEC the year before. It kind yeah. of feels like that. I'm not saying Colorado is going to lose this game, but it does feel like a week two swing might be coming. And Nebraska at least has some has some talent up front, even though I don't think they're good at skill position to make this game weird. But I can't really trust Nebraska to close out a close game at this stage. So I'll still pick Colorado. Yeah, I tend to think that Nebraska is better on defense than TCU. Um, I think Colorado's pretty bad on defense and even and even Nebraska should be able to score some points, um, which I think is going to make it an interesting game. Should be a fun game. But you're right, uh, until they win a single score game, which they have not been able to do over the past few years. Uh, Got to go Colorado in this one. But I, I I, don't think that they're quite as good as they showed last year either. I mean, last week either. Like, if Colorado and TCU, again, were playing this week, I'd probably still pick TCU uh, mm-hmm. to win. I would definitely not pick them to cover whatever the giant spread yeah. we said last week was. But, um, yeah, it felt like... One of those where everything kind of fell into place. Uh, culturally, you had the buy-in all summer and, and yeah. had hyped that up as your Super Bowl. And now you got to see what you can do the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, another one that I think is interesting, just because I like watching these two teams, uh, Vanderbilt and Wake Forest is also... 11 a.m., right? Yeah. It's the earlier bird. Um, you think that's – is it at Wake Forest? Never mind. I was about to make a joke about Vanderbilt Stadium. No, it's at Wake. Another time. Um, Wake Forest is actually uh, picked by 10 points in that one. Um, that feels like a large line, but also I don't think we've seen anything from Vanderbilt to suggest that they are a lock uh, to have taken a big step forward this year yet either. I trust Wake a little bit more. I trust the system a little bit more playing at home. I don't know. Again, this, this does have a Mississippi State, Arizona thing to it where Wake played an FCS opponent last week. Vanderbilt's played an FCS opponent in Hawaii. Going to figure out where both teams are. I still think Wake probably covers that at home, but I don't know. Also, Oregon at Texas Tech with Texas Tech having an Oregon transfer at quarterback. That's fun. Yeah, so that's one of my two, like, sucker bets of the week like where i'm just kind of over under 69 (laughs) i'm just very confused about what's happening here but it feels like it's to trick someone like me that doesn't know what's happening here because oregon's only favored by six and a half half, even though they scored 80 points last week or whatever it was um texas tech lost to a wyoming squad that's fine you know um I don't know. It feels like it should be more points, but maybe they just don't think that they can travel to Texas and deal with the heat or something. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe um, it's a weird, it's a weird trip. Um, I can see that game getting weird. That's kind of just well stick with there. The other one that kind of stood out to me is like, uh, what's going on with this line, Utah fresh off of a, what was it a 14 point win, uh, against 13, Florida yeah. travels to Oh, and one Baylor and they're only an eight point favorite. And that felt like a, smash uh pick yeah that does the feel. points there but I mean, you know what baylor did last week right not just that they lost but they gave up 42 points to a first-time head coach of a not great sunbelt program in texas state their first ever win over a power five school for texas state and they yeah, did it I'm, convincingly is it just the baylor what can't play worse thing yeah, yeah exactly um so I don't know. I don't want to touch either of those because they seem suspicious, but also the sucker in me is like, I should definitely bet on those. 
Um, all right, I'll give you my parlay real quick, and then we can start to close this out. So this week, I am going with three games. I picked Iowa minus four. I picked Okie State minus three and a half, which we didn't talk about that game. Um, we can talk about it in a second. And then I picked Virginia Tech minus three. Um, so I locked all those in a little earlier in the week. Uh, let me pull up the game real quick. Who Do you have off the top of your head? Who the, okay, Virginia. Oh, that's Virginia, not Virginia Tech. Dead air. Virginia Tech's playing Purdue. There we go. Noon There's kick. one of them solved. What's the, what's the other one? Oklahoma State. They are playing Arizona State at Arizona State at like 1030. It's a weird, yeah. another weird one. Oh and to God. me, that's Arizona State, who I think probably has a good new head coach, but they just found out two weeks ago or whatever that they have a bull ban. Uh, I don't know how particularly motivated that they're going to be, and it's not like that roster was doing too well to begin with. So right. uh, I don't know. Follow me if you want to lose your money like I'm <laughs> about to. <laughs> um, all right. So we will be back here on Sunday morning to talk Gamecocks versus Furman. We will have a few more previews, um, recruiting info, all that sort of stuff on GamecocksScoop.com as we lead into the game. Uh, until then, we'll see you next time.